When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello Egg Chasers, it's the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. I'm Tim, here with JB. Hello Tim. And here with Phil. Hello Tim. And you can think of this as a uh, a secondary podcast by the way, obviously, there's another one in your feed already. We make sure, and we are the only people that bring you a podcast every single Monday morning, 52 weeks of the year for seven seasons and counting, but... Eight seasons. uh, This is the eighth eighth. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Semantics. But yeah, you're right. Uh, so, yeah, uh, but this is an extra podcast because, so, I think if we were all putting cards on the table, we're all unified, which is rare for us, we mm. all agree we would not eliminate relegation from Premiership Rugby. C- Almost. I would not eliminate relegation from rugby without other measures in addition. Well, well, yeah. yeah. So if, yeah. if we're just talking about an elimination of relegation, none of us would do that. Yeah. So yeah. So you want which is step. which is what people are talking about, and, and yeah. which is what a lot of people would do. They would just el- the binary choice is relegation or no relegation, correct. nothing else. Yes, you are correct. I am anti no relegation. Yes, and yes. the facts of the matter are, as as much as there are a lot of other people who think likewise, some of the most important people in this uh, equation. Is less so the fans, but uh, which is is a weird one. But uh, there you go. It seems to be the fact that the majority, if not all, of the thirteen clubs who hold shares in Premiership Rugby would all like permanent uh, elimination of relegation. Yes. Yeah, they they do not want relegation, and you can understand it if you put their hat on, because you get inconsistency in your squad, in your salary cap, in your building for teams for the future. Look, look at Bristol and the struggles that they had coming back up, um, which was, was they were kind of thrown out of kilter because of the success of Exeter Chiefs in coming up to the top top table, and then the and intermittent Welsh. Uh, yeah, and the intermittent success of yeah. London Welsh in coming up to the top table. But it it ca- caused them years of um, hardship to get back to the top table. So, th- so I think where the idea of this podcast began is with the acknowledgement that whilst we wouldn't, if it was a binary choice, we would definitely not get rid of relegation. We may be swimming against the tide and it might be fighting a fight we can't win. So in in pragmatic fashion, how could it work? And this is the huge element which no one has really 
talked about. So once again, we're going to try and lead the way and and start a conversation which I guarantee will bear fruit. And some of some of what you hear today, you will hear other people parroting as if they've said it for the first time. Exactly right. So uh, can I just put the case forward for the owners as to what they are feeling right now? Um, why ring fencing is important to them, but also why we've been given only one option, because I think that's quite important as well. So the owners would make the argument that they are losing money hand over fist. It costs many millions of pounds to keep a rugby club up and get up and running. And during COVID, it's cost many more millions of pounds to keep a rugby club up and running. Yeah. It's only fair to acknowledge this because we are enjoying rugby at the expense of somebody else's inheritance somewhere. <laughs> um, most most premiership clubs lose a million or two on a normal season yeah. uh, most um by number there are, there are a couple that, that make the break even or make money occasionally but most lose a bit of money this will be significantly higher than that it'll be multiples of millions of pounds that m- the majority of rugby clubs are, are losing because they are having no hospitality no bums on seats no season tickets sales, could i no could fans. i devil's advocate that as well aside take the covid out of the situation and just anyway before that it was a loss making organization well, yeah, yeah, generally, yes. It generally was. So what, so what I would say is um, the devil's advocate in response to the devil's advocate is that's like saying to someone who has a pension pot that because of the Brexit stuff that was going on, it was worth significantly less than it had been a year prior. Um, all investments can go up as well as down, and they went into this with their eyes fully open. Well, that's an interesting point, isn't it? Are rugby clubs investments, or they something else? I fully believe that they are investments. I believe they should be treated like investments. They should be private companies that behave like private companies, and ultimately the goal here should be to be profitable. That is ultimately the goal. We do not own the sport as fans. There is no obligation on owners to carry on providing entertainment to us for free. I'm kind of with that. Um, But they have had a lot of downside for a long time. And I don't think the playing field is completely level for the owners because they've got to provide this service and they have to answer to the the RFU. So if you were to ask the owners, okay, um, we know that you're happy to provide this entertainment for us, but if you could redo this from scratch, would it look completely different? I think it would do. And it's only fair to say that they should have at least some say in restructuring the league because for the past few years they've been basically running it at the behest of the... Not at the behest of the RFU, but with the constraints of the RFU and what the RFU think is best for the game, including providing the RFU uh, players for the national team and developing their players for the national team. Now, it's a bit more complicated than that. Well, the RFU also... Give them money. Give them quite a bit of money, fund yeah. academies um, yeah, yeah. and all of that. It's, it's a two-way thing. Yeah. yeah. But I think if the owners were asked, would you do this differently, they would say yes. They would want law changes done much quicker. They would obviously want the ring fencing. They would want the ability to plan strategically because this is the thing which is missed. You can't plan strategically because you can't even keep your staff if you go down. Yeah, you know, all, they all get, get made redundant. So there are a lot of things. I, I, I'm just going to make a again. I, I broadly agree with you. I, I, I'm just going to make a devil's advocate position in a different direction. Um, in that, even clubs that go down, whilst they may lose match day revenue, have a pretty significant parachute payment, which effectively means that the thirteen clubs are, are, are were already and have been for some time ring fenced. Particularly when you look at the way that the funding at championship level has been absolutely decimated. Yeah, and um, this is. 
one of those unspoken things, isn't it? Which is maybe it's already been ring fenced. Yeah. And my joke of having a naughty step wasn't far far wrong, because that's exactly what happens. You go to the championship, you spend a year there, and you come come back up. Yeah, you springboard back up. Yeah. Albeit so, it has been less consistent. Uh, look at London Welsh coming back up, Bristol going down, and obviously um, Yorkshire Carnegie or Leeds Carnegie yeah. Leeds Tykes going down. So. <laughs> the other thing as well is they've got 13 members. I don't know how they've ended up with 13 members. <laughs> and it wouldn't surprise me if there's some Machiavellian antics with the RFU going on here, which means the, you can only ever have 12 people up in up in the Premiership, which means you will never get the... You, the you, can't say it now. Unanim- you, unanimity. Unanimity for ring fencing, because one person is always going to be let, um, let go. So having that 13th team up in the premiership is a massive strategic advantage for the owners <laughs> because they can now get unanimity. <laughs> and, and let's be clear, and let's be clear, if Saracens, well, Saracens, we expect them to uh, win their place back in the premiership in the expanded 13-team league next year, but if if somehow they don't and Ealing manage to repeat uh, their feet against a full-strength Saracens team, rest assured they will find a way be it now or at some point as soon as they're able to, where it would be a 14-team league or a 13-team league and Ealing would Ealing be, be sacrificed. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. So, so, so the, the end game has already been decided. It, it, and this is what I think a lot of people felt upset about with the news of relegation recently. Whilst a lot of people welcomed it and thought, oh, well, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a different time we're in right now, the COVID thing. A lot of people looked at it cynically and gone, this was an excuse to do what you'd already decided you were going to do anyway. Yes. Yes. Well, they've wanted to do it. I mean, how could you not want to do it? How could you continue to want to lose millions of pounds every year? Yeah, you put the owner's hat hat on and it becomes quite simple, really. Easy to understand. That does also, with that and with the shares in Premiership Rugby, which these clubs own, it does, it it could feel or it could be seen by some as cartel-like behaviour. Well, I think it is cartel-like behaviour. I mean, they own the clubs; they want to play against each other. Um, that's just the nature. You know, that's just the nature of it. I... Which is already antithetical to the to the whole principle of the league structure. In principle, mm. so the league structure for rugby is not even clear that this is a rugby structure, is it? I mean, we used to have the coage leagues, which were no such thing. Mm. In fact, they were just made-up fixtures done by fixture secretaries, and we kind of guessed where you'd end up in the league. And sometimes you win it, sometimes you don't. We had a cup fixture. But ultimately, all we did is copy football. A lot of things that we have in rugby are just copies of football. Um, the other thing as well is they can only announce certain things at certain times. So whereas I'm against just relegation, it's also fair to say that they can only announce relegation because they can only announce one thing at a time. If you wanted to announce any more measures, you'd have to get that past the RFU in addition to scrapping relegation. Okay, so that's another thing which you need to consider too. So, if there are things being considered, which I'm, which I know that there are by club owners, then the, you will have to wait until either relegation and promotion are scrapped completely in the future, or they manage to go back to the RFU to get that passed in further meetings. Okay, now this this is kind of a setup, um, and. On on this setup, there's one more thing that I think of. Well, there's probably a few things, but one more thing is definitely worth adding, which is well, why is relegation bad? Because pe- some people might say, well, what's the harm in it? You've got lots of leagues around the world where there is no relegation. Check out Super Rugby or Pro 14. Is it that bad a thing? And in my mind, yes, it is, because 
you you take away the jeopardy, which is the thing that JB you kept referring to sorry, on the naughty why step. Is relegation bad? Why is no relegation bad? Uh, sorry, yes. why is no relegation bad? Yes, you're right. Why is relegation good? Relegation gives you jeopardy. Yeah. Jeopardy means you have meaningful games from round one through to round twenty two, um, and it, the the Premiership is interesting because. The Premiership, in my mind, is the best best rugby league um, club competition in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there's kind of three strands to that. It, it's driven to create a competitive environment where all teams can be competitive. Uh, you have had multiple different winners across the, the years, albeit Saracens dominated, which we know was, at least in part, down to their... Um, sidestepping of the salary cap mm-hmm. but there's three strands to the, the competition you've got obviously the relegation which does give you that jeopardy and gives you that incentivization you've got the salary cap itself which drives a level playing field it, it is explicitly intended to drive a level, level playing field across the teams and means that there can't be a multi-billionaire come in and just bankroll one team a Toulon like team or a Galacticos type team and importantly, unlike other leagues, take Pro 14, you've got all independent owners. Hmm. So all the clubs are, as you've already said, JB, they're independently owned. You can't get the IRFU, for example, blocking a Ruin Pina, Pinar contract extension because they've decided to sign Jameson Gibson Park for the long-term future. You can't have someone uh, in adequately or for the for the for the good of the the good of the overall country reallocating players um, so they get more gate playing time or playing time with certain teams. So all the teams are incentivized to uh, maximize their own performance. And those three strands drive the league to be more competitive. Yeah. Now, relegation it totally eliminates one of those three core principles that mean it is the best league. And that's something that um, without other measures or without something being done, it will harm the product of the league. Yeah. And and the final principle that, that I'd add in just the mm. setup to this, um, and this comes from very much my background, and I think I said this uh, a week or two ago or whatever, or a couple of weeks back, but um, the simple truth is that Premiership Rugby, like all elite sport that's televised, like is, is effectively a form of storytelling just as much as the box set that you're binging on on Netflix and it, or, or a, a theatre production you might go and look at. And uh, it's a living, breathing documentary or soap opera or whatever you want. And the greatest tales ever told are the ones where you're emotionally invested in what is happening and what may happen next. And when you overcome struggles, that means you can enjoy the joy, the whole yin and yang thing. And if you take away one, you, you, you can't have the other, which is what, which is where the, the story and the threat of relegation, it, it adds to the joy when you actually have yeah. success. It, the, that ominous thought of this can never happen to that club it's ever present. Yeah. yeah. So last relegation season was with Leicester Tigers involved. The last, yeah, the last two. It, were Saracens not already relegated? It could have been Leicester Tigers. And, and the season before that. Unthinkable. I mean, it's just plainly unthinkable. Yeah. And um, the last thing on relegation or scrapping it without any additional measures is maybe the nightmare scenario. So Phil outlined that. The Pro 14 has no relegation, but it has reasons for that, i.e. it's owned by mostly the unions. People who tell you that Welsh teams are independent, that's because they are being deliberately disingenuous. They're basically funded by the unions. Um, 
and you understand why they do what they do. I had exactly that this conversation recently with one of your favourite journalists, but who tried to tried to tried to tell me that um, yeah, is it- Welsh teams were all. Uh, independent. Yeah, the guy's got the IQ of an Alsatian. I, w- I wouldn't. I, I oh. wouldn't listen to him. Um, particularly when it comes to stuff, stuff like this. He thinks he owns people's labour, labour, and he doesn't. Um, so, uh, yeah. So on that, the nightmare scenario is because you've got the profitability drive, and you've got the lack of relegation, and you've got, for instance, no regulations in order to make sure that you are competitive. You might say, "Well, my TV money is X." My income is why I'll add those together and that is what I'll spend on my squad and therefore I will only spend 50% of what the top team is paying but I stay profitable. Yeah, That's a nightmare scenario. In, in effect, you've got a kind of free rider argument which yeah. people are just taking advantage of the league and taking advantage of their place in the league and that's why you do need relegation to get rid of that dead wood unless... Yes. It becomes a race to the bottom. Yes. Exactly. So so let's let's get into some substance then. So we are saying... If there's a binary choice, relegation, no relegation, absolutely not. We are not in favour of extending what has happened this season beyond this season. We are pragmatic enough to see the writings on the wall and the tide seems to be flowing in one direction. So we're going to try and use what platform we have, and maybe with your help to share uh, the podcast and to, to you know to, to help influence other people. We're going to try and throw some ideas in the mix that mean if ring fencing has to happen, how could it work for the for the benefit of everybody, fans, uh, grassroots rugby, and the elite level product and the international team? Yeah. So, uh, so my yeah. So yeah, you you basically outlined that. So rather than force people to be competitive through by threats, the best way to do this is actually instead of doing something which is threatening, do something which increases the competition in the league. In effect, we need to improve the parity. Those are the measures that, 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 that we need to take. The first most obvious one is putting a floor onto the salary cap. A minimum spend. A minimum spend. So you have a maximum spend and a minimum spend. Correct. Now, the way a lot of leagues do this is they look at league revenues coming in and they say, we want 52% of league revenues. So to ensure that the league keeps their side of the bargain to make sure that the salary cap doesn't get challenged in court for instance and the collective bargaining agreements which is what they call it in say the american sports the cba is enforced they'll then say well if it's 52 percent of total league incomes you need to spend 90 percent of whatever that figure is in each club does that make sense yeah yeah so the, the, we got totally on board with the principle. You can't just, as you said, free ride it. You can't coast and make a profit and not, and just be happy with mediocrity. Yeah, yeah. So your minimum spend would be the foundation. Now, interestingly, I understand that minimum spend is is on the table for the Premiership teams. Interesting, but only if relegation was to be extended beyond one year. Uh, it's the scrapping of relegation to be extended. Or, or, yes, sorry. Yeah. Ring fencing. The ring yes. fencing, sorry. The ring fencing, if it's to be extended beyond uh, one one year, we would see a minimum spend come in. So there is some discussion on that all, already, which is good to hear. So that, that makes perfect sense, because you've outlined it, it would be a race to the bottom. The, effectively, the less you spend, the higher your profit is. Yeah. Yeah, that is. It would be that simple an equation. Well, that's good. Uh, one, I, I'd hope that I'll, I'll lob one in. Uh, independent administration of of the league. So 
that there are too many examples of Premiership clubs marking their own homework. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and how many times do, do fans moan about the lack of transparency and the poor quality of communication uh, that happens? And uh, I mean. I said it can sometimes feel like a cartel. You said it is kind of cartel-like behaviour, JB. It can't. It cannot be done like that. And so there has to be a body who not not only hold clubs to account when it's necessary and enforce these things that we're talking about, like a minimum spend, uh, so they can't mark their own homework. Secondly, it's it's actually someone that has a a vision for growth of the product and of the sport over and above the imperatives of any individual club for themselves. Like a commissioner. Like like, <laughs> like a commissioner. JB 2022. <laughs> well, I've got some experience commissioning leagues. And I think, uh, <laughs> so far, it's so, been an overwhelming success. So, I, so, I, I, think that, I think that has to happen has again. To. And we, we spoke about that in the past. We spoke about it when Saracens had their multiple fines, where, where they actually changed the rules, the league rules, halfway through the season in order to basically make sure Saracens got relegated. Yeah. It just looked... I mean, probably in that scenario, justice was done, but there, there's no transparency to the, the way that justice yeah. was done. And so, they, they, we had it the same with the uh, COVID regulations when they were brought in and, and brought in partway through the season. And the rumoured salary cap breaches in 2015. Mm. Yeah, yeah, when it's a handshake were just deal. swept under the carpet and all, yeah. done, all done in smoky rooms. So believe it or not, the... the Organisation I think might have something to say about this, of all the organisations, is UK Super League. And not particularly in the way that you might think, because they don't have a commissioner. Um, They've got, uh, who is it now? Is it Claire Balding now? Exactly. Formerly Tony Adams, formerly uh, Mayor of Manchester. Andy Burnham. Andy Burnham. Yeah. They get people in as, I think, chairman of the RFL. Yes. Who they have... get an amazing medallion. Yeah, he gets an amazing medallion. And I'm not saying this should always be the case, but it is an amazing opportunity for rugby to reach out from beyond the sport to bring somebody in as someone to be governor or the commissioner. So, someone completely outside the sport who has no idea what's going on in the sport. Well, yeah. Get Clive Woodward in. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> joking, joking, joking. I mean, you can have a figurehead for for the game, which is quite cool. So that'd be a Martin Johnson type or someone with, yeah. ma- with massive amounts of gravitas like, well, like me. Um <laughs> Or you could reach out to someone else. I mean, you know, we laugh at Claire Balding and we laugh at Tony Adams being appointed, but they're good appointments. You know, it makes a lot of sense. People think, oh, bloody hell, Claire Balding's involved with with the rugby league. Well, so I wouldn't look to those, but I, I would simply look to the two chaps that Premiership Rugby have already got on board to do the, the Saracens cap and the salary. So Lord Miners and Lord Dyson. Yes. Now, if you read those two reports in depth, as I have done, those those are two serious, seriously intelligent, seriously experienced individuals who have a great eye for detail and things like this. And I'm not saying it should be one of those two, but that is the calibre of individual who you could get. And you could get someone who's better known and be more of a public face or someone who has some serious intellect behind them yeah. and thinking I mean, behind even them. Even someone from a different sport, yep. um, someone with... There's many many footballers out there with a huge profile. I mean, I'm not saying Seth Blatter would be a great guy. 
Uh, <laughs> but you know, there, there are loads of people out there who've got great experience. They're, they're, they're a name. And it's just another chance for rugby to grow its footprint outside of the of the game. In terms of independent management of, of the sport, which I think is absolutely essential, I also think, and you were sort of touching on this, that one of the things you're removing is relegation. I think if there's no threat to your position based on the on-the-field stuff, there should still be a threat to your status based on factors off the field. So a, a, a club's position in the in the top table, and this is how you stop it from feeling like a cartel, is if, if it's never taken for granted. So if you cannot get any um, physical audience coming to, to grounds, local TV audience built up or, a, or an interest and in revenue f- through sales and merchandise and stuff, if you can't demonstrate that or at least it moving in the right direction consistently, I think it not saying it would happen, it would be quite a drastic situation where it could happen, but it, there, there should be the possibility that you go, sorry, Worcester, Sale, Newcastle, do you know what? Cornish Pirates have built the, a new stadium and they can demonstrate they could fill it with 12,000 people every week and they've got a hotbed of rugby. You're gone. Yeah, go go down to the championship and sort yourselves out. Well, the way you do that would be, I suppose, by making it very expensive to play. If that makes sense. So the minimum criteria to play would be you got to spend ten million quid on salaries. Well, yeah, well, or what, five million. If, if you're yeah. talking about a five to six million pound salary cap, you might have a just for example a lower tier of five million and an upper tier of six million. If yeah. you're going to put that banding in. And that would that would automatically make club owners think, do you know what, I do not want to lose any more money playing at the big boys' table. I'm not getting people through the door. This isn't the right location for me. And this does happen in sports like NFL. And I think, I probably need to move locations now. That's mm-hmm. the other thing. You might find Wasps going from Coventry back to London or whatever that may be. It might not be losing the team. or Sorry, it might not be losing the brand, but you might be losing the team. Uh, Worcester might go to... Norfolk Warriors or something. Yeah, you know, that is a, absolutely a possibility. Or you expand into those different uh, different regions. And ju- just on that, because it's a point we didn't quite make before, but the the competition of the league is obviously it's better for the fan, us the fans, but it's also um, more financial. It's financially better because if you have a, a a constantly competitive league and an improving product, you will likely attract more more fans and therefore get ever-increasing TV deals and you're growing the revenue, which is mm. something that obviously yeah. hasn't happened on the last... It was expected to happen, but didn't happen on the last round of Premiership TV deal negotiation. Yeah, uh, growing the revenue is absolutely it's, essential, particularly it, with CVC involved, because it needs to get paid. Yes, so you have to... to yeah, yeah, that should be... Uh, right at the top of the agenda. Let, let me tick off a couple of like quick ones. Sure. So, so the championship, I think, is a really important pathway, particularly for people who don't go to uh, privately privately funded schools that have better coaching and um, um, conditioning. You get a lot of late developers that come through a different pathway. The championship's been absolutely essential to that. It's already happening in some cases where Premiership clubs and Championship clubs are tied together. That should happen straight away and create the championship should should be what they've been trying to make the A-League, which has never worked. I, you know, I don't like discussing. This is, no, I don't even like discussing lower-tier rugby in this context because I see it with the Welsh system and they're thinking, oh, do we have an A-League for the Ospreys? Do we have a, um, a championship sort of structure? What is it that we need beneath the regions? 
And to a large degree, I tend to think that the highest level of the club sport should stand completely and utterly, utterly alone. No, no A leagues, no club partnerships, no nothing. Quite, uh, quite frankly, now you could look at it more like a baseball and say, yes, there's a farm system underneath it. I would be up for that, but I also think the championship, as we've discussed before, Tim, needs to be regionalised. I don't think there is any scope, really, for another national league, unless you can give me a business case that there is. So there's two sides to it. There's the there's the financial side, which I don't think necessarily stacks up, unless you make those links stack up. But there's then also you can, then you can share coaching resources, playing resources. Yeah. yeah. So I, I quite like that. But there's as a as a um, a pool of talent we've seen over the years that the championship and even below that is invaluable for these teams. And if we're talking about the most competitive league and each of the teams um, working with a, within quite a fine band of salary cap, to to maximise that salary cap, you need guys who can come to the Premiership, can step up to the Premiership like game ready, yeah. so you can't have you can't have this huge drop off. A league does not do that job. Yeah. So, okay. so without a significant the problem change, problem I have with the argument around developing talent is we simply don't know the counterfactual, do we? We don't know how many players have dropped out because they didn't want to do the travelling because the money wasn't good enough to warrant their time. We also don't know how much talent these clubs could have produced locally if they were playing high-quality rugby within a 50-mile radius. We just don't know. So I don't doubt you're right about producing talent. I just don't know that more talent couldn't have been produced and retained in the higher leagues if they were regionalised. Oh, regional, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Whatever the second tier of rugby is needs to have the ability for players to be se- semi-professional um, in, in a few rare cases, maybe full-time professional, have great coaching, yeah. have great standards of play. Yeah. Because as Phil said, it's, 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 a, it's a pathway that the England team has got the benefit so, of. Right yeah, now. and I, I, don't, I don't think we're going to solve that problem yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah. I, th- I, think yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're all agreed that you've got to have yeah. an adequate standard in the tier below. So it can't just be forgotten about. Yeah, yeah. there's got to be some thinking. This it, is We're not going to solve it right it, now. Yeah, it's in, prem, it's in premiership clubs and it's in the premiership as a product's interest to have that as a, as a, as a, as well, a, as a reasonably funded or supported This does link endeavor. into another thing, right? In fact, it directly links into it, which is what do we do with the academies? Uh, okay, because I, I would say you've got the club academies. Yep. Um, there's obviously links there with the RFU because of the funding. You've got the um, representational academies as well. Obviously, the um, Lancashire working up to England all the way up. Um, what do you want to do to the academies? My idea for the academies, it's not strictly my idea, it's basically an NRL idea, is to have a maximum wage and a minimum wage. So if you have... Is there not the maximum wage already in the academies? There might well be, actually. But Is it not, not 30k? Yes, I think you might be right, actually. I think that, I think that, I think I think, there is a maximum wage. I think that's wage. the academy, because when a player graduates... You are, you are right. There is definitely, some, there is definitely something yeah. in place. There's, I guess there's technically a minimum wage, unless they put them on an apprenticeship, te- technically it. apprenticeship deals. There is not a minimum wage to play first-team rugby. So you can play on, basically, minimum wage. 
Well, yeah. The mi- <laughs> show well, diversity on minimum wage. Minimum wage, unless, because there are obviously rules around minimum wage, you can have lower than minimum, minimum wage if you're an apprentice or a troller fisherman or a yep. director. So unless they have all the academy players as either. Yeah, and if you want to save money, you obviously make your academy players directors of the club as well. Or troller fishermen. Or troller fishermen. Exactly right. <laughs> okay. So uh, the, the level you set your minimum maximum wage at might be... 40k for instance okay or the yeah, mic- 30k is where you're at now yeah and if you're above if you're a first team player for sale shocks you would have to be paid a minimum wage the minimum wage also acts as the maximum wage for, you, for, for your academy lads and the reason that you do that is so you can't just have a team full of academy boys you've got to pay them proper money to be in the to if- be in the squad and anyone who's not been paid above the minimum wage you can sign as any other club in the Premiership, so it just means you can't hoard you can't hoard players. On and small and like, like the NFL training squad, very similar principle. They, they go available to anyone else, yeah, for a period of time. So you can have as many players as you want at your club, but you can't hoard the players, yeah, unless you're willing to pay them a minimum wage, which could be, I put it probably somewhere like a hundred k. That's what I would think of. hundred k for the main for the team. main squad, and then um, and then a maximum wage for. Outside the squad of maybe twenty five, so then you've got this huge jump, mm. as in twenty five k up to a hundred k. Which so means if there's, loads, if there's loads of injuries, a, a coach is going to no, I'm not going to pick that young guy for this one because I have to pay yeah, that jump, k. that jump creates yeah. an issue. Um, it's, it's like the old um, uh, house price stamp duty taxing where you had this dead space. Oh yeah, yeah because it, where was, it wasn't it graduated. From, it was, yeah, it went from one percent to three percent at two hundred fifty k. So no home was worth anything it between two hundred and fifty one k and two four nine 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 until you got way over it. Until yeah, until you're so that dead space is a. Well, there are two reasons I would do this. Number one, to make sure players aren't getting hoarded. But um, that's that shouldn't I, I, happen if there's an efficient transfer market. If well, there's an efficient transfer system or an efficient market, that shouldn't be an issue. And the second reason is moral. I just don't think you should be on a Premiership pitch without being paid 100k a year, that, you know, or, or the equivalent. I just don't think you should be taking that taking that risk. Uh, these are adults who shake hands on deals. Yeah. And they are to a certain degree, and I get that. But the wish to play Premiership rugby is such a rare, such a rare opportunity that people will. I mean, there is a story about a player called Rodri Gummer Davis. Do you remember, her? Do you remember him? I don't. <laughs> it's the sort of name you'd think you wouldn't forget, but I don't. <laughs> Rodrigo Gomadeus played really well for Northampton. He might have even won a. Gomadeus, Gomadeus, Gomadeus. I think he got relegated with him, he played so well. Um, and he also ended up with the Dragons. And he, I think he was due a Welsh call up. He was on 25 grand a year. And uh, his term was Carlos Spencer on, uh, on 250,000. And his third team was also on 250,000 because he's, he's Bruce Ray Harner. And I, so I do think that the minimum wage is a good but that, idea. that's on him, though. Well, because I would also combine it with a maximum squad size. And that maximum squad size is going to be pretty stingy. About 40 players, I would guess. Okay. But so I don't, I don't like the dead, the dead space. It's a terrible idea. Well, I mean, I guess, having, that, having that, you can't have that big a gap between. Well, the NRL do it in a more simple way. There's about eighty k, and it's a flat line. It's no dead space. Yeah, so I think I think you have over. you have to have no dead space. And so I, if, it was, I mean, if, if it was if it was say fifty k, I've got no problem with that. 
I guess in principle, I have no problem. Probably, yeah. Which is, it's, it's the if you want to pay a bunch of nineteen-year-olds at 80, uh, eighty grand a year not to play first team, be my guest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that'll come home to roost in other ways, uh, right? Because we got a real juicy one that, that JB wants to bring to the table. So I'll just say like a, a narrative for broadcasters. So. Uh, particularly in the second half of the season, there is absolutely no requirement or expectation that any club automatically gets televised games. If you're near the bottom of the table, tough. You you haven't got a story to tell, Ooh, so you, you may not get you may not get your game televised. But that's because sport is a, a storytelling process. So let the people who know how to tell stories decide what the plot lines are and who the main characters are. Wait a second. Would you put a rule in? So, for instance, you can't have less than. Like seventy five percent of the points of the top team, or whatever that is, a percentage—not seventy five percent of the points because that wouldn't work—but like you've got to be within a certain percentage of the points of the top team. I would just say you've got to be in with a shot of getting whatever the meaningful well, games are. Yeah, top four. And, and I would basically say first half of the season, maybe you have a deal where you go, yeah, we'll guarantee every club will get shown this many times. But second half of the season, there's no guarantees. Yeah, if you're down the bottom, and and probably you link the revenue to that. I don't know how it's structured at the moment, but, but if, you're not, on t- if you're not on TV... It doesn't even matter, does it? No. Because you can't spend it. No. Everyone's, I, I well, think, it's more profit, though. Well, the, ex- the exposure... Because you, you want to be driving profit. The exposure Revenue is valuable because, like, you know, um, all these the sponsors on the front of the shirts, the, 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 those sponsors want their want their TV time, so there'll be an imperative yeah. for... You can't go and have a conversation when you want to renew your shirt deal when you haven't been shown on telly for two months because your team's garbage. Mm. But I, I would be given the, the financial, the profit. Revenue always matters, particularly if you're in a profit situation. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, uh, if you... In a, in a way... <laughs> so someone said to me on email, and thank you for all your e- uh, emails, uh, by the way, that you could incentivize the teams by giving them graduated payments as they finish, which you could, but if you can't spend that on transfer fees, like, what do you care for that as a fan? The only way it'd make a difference Not as a fan, but that incentivizes the owners. Yeah, the only way it'd make a difference, well, yes, it incentivizes the owner, is if there's, like, a bonus structure. So everyone, so the bottom team gets nothing, the the second bottom team gets a 2% bonus, then it goes up to 7%, then it goes up to 40, whatever, whatever that structure is. Maybe that would work. Yeah, or, or it's, like you say, you link it somehow to every time your team is played, you get, I don't know, whatever the, an output of that uh, TV deal is saved for that second half of the season. It gets the same over the first half. It's saved for that second half. And if you're if you're yeah. in fewer meaningful games, you get a bit less And cash. that also incentivizes you to generate a base. You can't, it's not just about winning the trophy at the end of the season. You've got to get people to care about your club, buy into it, get the local clubs watching you know, caring what happens to you and stuff. So yeah, that, this is, but basically, it's just it's just going back to that storytelling point that the, the broadcasters know what the narratives are, and if you're taking away one of the big storylines, well, then what if I want to watch might... it though, Tim? What if I just want to watch it? Well, at the moment, you can watch every game. Yeah, I'm yeah, a bit but of a his, it, historically, you couldn't, could That's, you? Yeah, no, you couldn't actually. I, I forgot about this. And things. the red button is a barrier for a lot of people. Most people would just watch the game that's on with all the pundits and stuff and the three team yeah, commentary. Yeah, you get red buttoned. Yeah, you get red button. Red button. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, and on that, just on that, um, centralised opportunities for sponsorship. I think we saw it with. Oh no, we don't. I, th- I think there was a time when Super Rugby used to have Ford on all, on all their jerseys. Yeah, yeah. They, they certainly have central. It's all they're all Adidas, obviously. Yeah, so there's potential there. Um, and and overnight, if you want to remove some of the control, um, if you want to have more control, so you don't have relegation content, is you. you, you 
like NFL films, access everywhere. UFC. UFC, the exactly. Fighter. exactly. Know, they make the all their own stuff. Totally. So it should be overnight. No longer are the clubs in charge. It's a symbiotic relationship. There are cameras everywhere. There are microphones everywhere. We get to see the stories. We get to tell stories in other ways. We get to know the characters. We get... We never want to have a situation where there's defensive cliche answers. We 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 make content, hours and hours of content, one, out, out of everything that happens every day. One official podcast, yes, just one know, official podcast. And and all other podcasts is. will be banned. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and finally. I, I was thinking about this. There is um, <laughs> j- just think back to how revolutionary for rugby audiences living with lions was. Yeah. Which yeah. is now nearly 25 years ago. And there's been nothing in the last 25 years that has got anywhere close to that, which is shameful on the sport. It is shameful. Uh, you know, look at what the look at what so many other sports do centrally. The cheapest thing in the world is to do a podcast. Why does Premier, Premier Rugby have a podcast? It'd be the easiest thing. In fact, there's others out there you could just commandeer. It's the easiest thing in the world. You've got all the access that, that you need. Well, yes, you do. But at the moment, the relationship is such that players and clubs are defensive it's not open it's not we're a team together it's not um it's not just part of the culture whereas nfl films they get amazing content because well it's just their job that's just what you do yeah um okay so we've discussed uh squad numbers i just want to re- re-emphasize this squad numbers with no in uh, injury dispensation your squad limit is your squad limit interesting because i I'm, I'm kind of less keen on that because I'd I'd want uh, DORs to manage things differently. I want give them enough flexibility to manage their squad. Like Steve Diamond, you you often said it. He ran a very lean sales squad, thirty man squad, and managed his training accordingly. Whereas other teams will have a on the same salary cap a forty plus man yeah, squad. Yeah. So this is an interesting. That point. Fle- taking that flexibility away. I've had this argument with someone who has. Managed teams who have had a hard number and had to work on their lists and other people who have not. And he is convinced, I won't mention his name, but I might do a podcast with him very, very soon, that you have to have lists of, lists of players because it makes it competitive across all... Of it. It's just another way that you increase or you control the amount of... Com- that you control the amount of competition. The other thing it does is... It makes sure that you select your players better, which is quite which is quite an interesting part, and that you spend your salary cap in a more in a more efficient way. The downside to this is, of course, there are teams out there already, which some might be local to us. I don't know, um, who see a competitive advantage in per, in rising their average salary in order to get a better average player. Yeah, so, so I I don't like taking that way, and I, I equally don't like the. No um, injury dispensation. Well, the no injury dispensation solves two problems. Uh, first of all, everyone every year somehow manages to generate an injury which allows them to spend more on the salary cap. Yes. So always start from a position that people are going to cheat because they are. So you just get rid of that. Then teams have got to look at players that play multiple positions. And then furthermore, they will do something which Owen Slot suggested in the Times this week, which is limiting... Contact training in con- contact in training, which has been talked about a lot recently, yeah. particularly with through the lens of um, concussion. Right. So I'm completely against the quote unquote science taking over in, in the sport. I don't think it's the right way to go. I think once you get the science involved, it makes something an obligation 
we start to give it lip service rather than really care about it. If you just limited the squad sizes, they would really care about it because you need your squad healthy for the, healthy for the weekend. So it's just a different way to approach, approach the same problem. Yeah, I, I'm still I'm not on board with taking that flexibility out. And, and in terms of the efficient squad, I think what might be the next thing we discuss, which is probably the big focal point, um, will give us such a push towards that avenue that the, the limiting of the squad size is just... It's, it's an unnecessary addition. I don't know. I quite like it. Although I do appreciate you get into the injury spiral where you get five players injured and then all of the other players have to play every every minute and then they get injured. Yeah. And then that's the way it goes. But that's it's quite fun. When, when we thought we might be somewhere in the pecking order to play a sale game after they'd all been partying in the, the so halls, of, halls of residence, we were getting quite excited yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, so... Just one very, very, very quick one. Just, just innovation in general. So, with, with the short-term worries eradicated, there should be a new spirit of uh, of just trying things. And rugby, rather than looking at other sports that have tried stuff and adopting it into ours, what, rugby can and should be the sport that does that elsewhere. And it can be, you know, heart rate monitors on players, which broadcasters can show. Ooh, um, well, they, they all have the GPS. Yeah, make that available. Make that available. Uh, I'd be interested in seeing that. Yeah, uh, we talked about it before. Max squat, bench, and deadlift scores. Yes, their bleep test and bronco scores. Yes. Um. Uh, access to coaches' microphones, like in F one, which mm. you could yeah you could play after the fact when it's that's appro- a great idea. Yeah, all of that. Love uh, it. When there's a load of red cards like this weekend, what about? Um, the broadcaster has a little fan panel that via an app give their instant reaction. And no, that, that could, <laughs> no, no, but negative. Just, no, I, okay, fine. But I'm just chucking. Yeah. I'm just chucking ideas which might start. Twitter, you mean? We talked about yeah, yeah. Basically, we talked about the Waybridge. So as teams yes. walk onto the pitch, the pack have to the eight men yeah, have they, to stand there on a Waybridge and they get a score and then they can walk on the pitch and we they get apparently their do that. Weight. Someone messages on Twitter saying they do that in tug of war. Do they? Oh, I they, love do, it. They, they, they can do it in tug of war. Yeah, they literally before us. they they um, actually start yeah. pulling, actually start tugging. Oh, there you go. Um, so, I, um, I want all of that. And we talked about um, like representing players' strength, speed, weight in in the context of you know uh, ping pong specimens balls. from the animal kingdom or ping pong balls. Yeah, <laughs> um, and um, and 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 the team finishing bottom having to wear such a disgusting kit the next season. That, uh, there's another bit of jeopardy yeah, the, for the bottom the, spot. The leaders, the winners, get to pick. They get to design the losers' kit. Yeah, perfect. That'd be great. Well, there is another thing. So there's a really simple thing which makes a difference in NRL. Um, well, two things that I've thought of NRL because of what you've just said, Tim. First of all, the rule changes and the, and the innovation. What Super Rugby really struggles with, and it baffles people who are outside of Super Rugby but inside of Australian sports is the lack of progress with rule changes. So do you know when you hear all the kerfuffle, like, oh, the Australians want to do this, that, and the other? The reason, that, the reason the Australians want to do this is because they are in the most competitive sport market. And all of their competitors in the NRL or Aussie rules or whatever have complete freedom over how they influence their sport to make it into a better spectacle. Yeah, because in the AFL, there is no global governing yeah. body. They are it. Doesn't matter, that, does it? it. NRL can literally N- NRL, change. Yeah, do, they do what they want, don't do they? Do what they want. What, what Super League is going uh, to stop them. Um, so with Super Rugby, they're pulling their hair out saying, we need to do whatever it is to change the rules, and they can't. Now, with a very powerful domestic ring fence league, there's every chance that they could say, well, actually. I mean, I, I, mean, I actually raised this question with someone the other day. I was like, why can't you just 
do what you want. And the answer was unclear. But I would do exactly what I wanted. I, I do think there is a risk in that, in the, the constant changing of laws or too many law changes, just because, as we pointed out before, the, the law of unintended consequences, and if they're not properly thought through, um, there are some very smart coaches and players out there who will work around them and it will have it will cause more problems than it solves. Yeah, well, well, to... A Weybridge doesn't cause, cause any No, get me, get, get me the Weybridge <laughs> right now. The other thing, right, which um, <laughs> is a really cool thing, and it's so simple, is a wooden spoon. It's literally a wooden spoon. <laughs> so and they have to go up and accept they it. They have to have it, and it has to be stitched onto your jerseys. So I, yeah, oh, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Literally that easy. Brilliant. So there will be clubs out there who will be equally as proud of winning three titles as they would be of never getting the spoon. Never had a what was spoon. that? What was that former French lock who did the dive? And we talked about like the the sanction for if you get found that you've dived and Roman. I can't remember his name. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember. Anyway, whoever it was, um, if you get, if you get, you should just be shamed if that happens. So it, it's it's the it's the rule that it has to be played a certain number of times on the big screen yeah. during the match. Well, I, I see no reason why you couldn't like a little yeah little wooden spoon on the shirt. I yeah, just yeah. like the the stars for yeah. winning the Heineken Cup. So you have your stars, but you also have to have your spoons. Or, or, oh. or no, no, ju- no, just for the year after. No, forever. Spoons forever. Spoons forever. Spoons forever. I like the spoons accumulating <laughs> I, I like the stars. I love spoons. Like Quinns and Northampton, you've got your spoons. You've got your spoons. Yeah, be, like, Leicester have never had the spoon. <laughs> yeah, Leicester no spoons. I'm trying to think of Sale Sar- have never had the spoon. Yeah. Saracens, no well, spoon. Could, could it be, and maybe they can have a choice. You can either have a spoon put on or take one of your stars off. Yeah. <laughs> Negative, yes. Like or it. maybe there should be an unequal um, transfer system, an unequal exchange rate. So, like, two stars equal one elimination of one spoon. Or maybe if you've got, like, six spoons, you can buy one star of Saracens. <laughs> I don't know. Something like that. I'm trying to work it out. That's cool. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, so there's really obvious small things like that. But I think the big thing we want to talk about, unless yeah. anyone's got anything no, else. No, no, no. no. This, this is, this we've, is the... we've paved the way. We've cleared the way. We've cut, okay. cut back the bush for this. And so this ul- is the bit that I'm excited about. So ultimately, when you are looking at parity in teams, there's one thing which makes the biggest difference, and that is the amount of talent that you've got. 
And the biggest problem teams have with picking talent is nobody knows how to do it. They might tell you they know how to do it, but the reality of it is they don't. And even if they do recognise good talent, they don't know how to price it. So if we are in a situation where we have a salary cap, then you've got a danger that directors of rugby do not know how to price talents. And this is a real, real problem. And just just to point to the first thing you said there, the salary is re- uh, sorry um, talent is really important you read a book recently jb on soconomics i which, did which, uh, one point in the book that um, compares premier league um average table position average finish position to the average salary spend over a long period of time and basically the two are the same you yeah. spend more money on salaries in premier league you finish higher up the table on average there's a direct correlation between the two so if there's direct correlation between those two... Well, that would show that they do know how to identify the talent well, and price. Well, in, in football, yes. Well, they, they know how to pay the most to more guys, but there's no salary cap in football. So you yeah. have no limits. Oh, correct. There's no hard limit at yeah. all. So in, in rugby, if you have a salary cap, the next question is, how do you allocate the money to the talents? Does that make sense? It does. Because in football, if you can just spend whatever you want... Uh, well, and that is you can where, overpay for talent. and that is where the skill is because you you put your money in the right places. We talked about Gloucester have a lot of money invested in areas of the pitch which are nice to have. Yes, they certainly do after their but, massive South African locks left them. You might even have a situation right where players who are essential to halves are so expensive that it affects the rest of the team. So let me give you an example. If George Ford was signed for £700,000, I don't know how much he gets paid, but say if he was signed for £700,000, within the salary cap, because we're going to have no exclusions, no academy, this, that and the other, it's a flat, hard cap, as it should be. And and in the real-world example, George Ford cannot be a marquee player because he was signed from another club. Yeah, exactly. Okay, That would mean that Leicester Tigers would have to not have a pack. Now, by coincidence, <laughs> by coincidence, during George Ford's time at the Leicester Tigers, they haven't had a pack. Leicester Tigers could con- conceivably look exactly like Leicester Tigers for under the, the situation if they'd overpaid for George Ford. For the past three years, the past three pretty years. much up until this point right now. So could we fix a system where we could get a fair price for George Ford, regardless of who bought him, a fair price for both him and the players and the teams and would allow for the league to achieve exactly what we need for everybody to get a lot more money, which is parity. Well, is what you're describing trying to uh, protect <laughs> protect club owners from themselves? No, because it, it doesn't matter, does it? Well, it, I think there's an element of that. There's an element of protecting the DORs because they see the new shiny whoever it is. I've got to yeah. tell you, that is the case, isn't it? Yeah. The, the people that this protects is the DORs. Yes. Because the DORs cannot be on the hook for bad contracts. Yeah. Because I, well, I, would, the, I would say the, the, the opposite of the overpaying for George Ford, particularly when he's in the England squad, you don't see him that much, is things like, you know, and, and for the salary cap breaches and stuff, just put that to one side for a second because Mark McCall plucked some absolute gems. Richard, mm. Richard Barrington, who's won a load of European Cups, uh, Petrus Duplessis, he's won a load of European Cups. Taylor? Duncan, yeah. Duncan Taylor. Duncan Taylor, straight out of the Championship and uh, and, and, and and pick them. And, and uh, no surprise, Rob Baxter's done the same thing with a load of players there. Yeah. 
Yeah. So people can do this, but yeah. also this does protect DOs from terrible decisions. Um, that is 100% fair to say. But ultimately, what this is going to do is increase the parity, which which will grow the game. So tell me how, because we've done a lot of teasing. Oh, how yeah, yeah, how yeah. are you actually going to increase the parity? Right. So this would require everybody who is out of con. So, so give me give me the give me the very simple. What's the headline? It's an auction. An we auction. All, we all an auction, you say? Yes, an auction. So like the IPL? No, not like the IPL. It is going to be a multi-bid, oh sorry, a simultaneous multi-bid auction for players that are out of contract. So here is how your system would, would work. You get a chance to sign the players you want to keep from both your academy and your existing squad. If they haven't signed by a certain date, they are eligible to go into the auction. Let's say, uh, for argument's sake, let's say January the 1st. So. January 1st, perfect, right? Which coincides with the time which they're allowed to speak to French teams. And mm-hmm. Okay, so that's absolutely fine. Before they go to, into the auction, there is a period of time where teams can uh, request interviews with certain players. And this is really important, actually, because maybe... You, Tim, do not want to go to live in Gloucester. You want to go and live in Bath because of that. Well, I'd, I'd probably live in Cheltenham, just up the road, and, yeah. and drive to Gloucester. Well, yes, there is also that too. Yeah. But you uh, definitely don't want to live in Newcastle. Well, you, you thought about it. You thought no, not living yeah. in Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. So if I'm a DIY, I probably want to know this, and yeah. you probably want to tell them that because there's mm. no point in me bidding on you. Uh, if you're going to stay at Gloucester, and you say, look, Gloucester are going to... And Gloucester might give you a nod and a wink, we're going to give you X amount. Although, as you'll find out shortly, that would not be worth doing. It would yeah. be really not worth... Not, that would really not be worth doing. Once that has been established, any player that wants to play in the Premiership cannot sign with a Premiership club. You can't do it. So, you, yeah, you can sign for your current club, but you can't sign for any other club. Yeah, and nor can a player coming from outside the Premiership. They have to go into the auction. So if, you, if you're coming from France and you think Premiership's for me, you've got to go to the auction. So then the auction happens, and it works like this. Every player available in that auction is bid for simultaneously. And all of the bids are unveiled after the first round at the same time, and the highest bid is known to every single bidder. The bids are then... Uh, the second round then commences, and then bids can either be withdrawn or they can be increased. So, player one is George Ford. Would you say bids can be withdrawn? But bids can be withdrawn. Yes. Can, can a play, can a player just accept and get them and say, "Yeah, I'll take no. that and I'm out." No. 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 Okay. no. 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 So let's give you an example. George Ford. Someone's offered seven hundred thousand for, for them. The next club interested in him goes, crikey, I don't fancy 700,000. Round two comes about and George Ford's bid has been withdrawn. The reason it's been withdrawn is because actually 700,000 doesn't seem so appetising because I can't get my second row and my winger or whatever it so may there's be. There's no obligation, but could you, so, so I, could, I you just chuck in, could you just chuck in a ridiculously high figure to try and create that happening where you get the same player much cheaper later? You could do. You could do. And I, I, I'm a bit unsure about that withdrawing bids no it's a it, it's there in the research it's there in the in the original um who are the academics uh milgram and wilson from from, wilson. from stanford university won a nobel prize for their yeah. work on auction that, theory a, yeah so because because the, the different versions of this 
have been played out right across the world. And the, the, what you're talking about, for anyone who knows, is you've already given the title, but simultaneous multi-round auction, which, as Tim just said, won a Nobel Prize in October last year. Mm-hmm. Nobel Prize for Economics in October last year. It's been running since the mid-90s, this, in multiple different guises, in multiple different countries. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly in this one... You... So, I, so I wouldn't have the... It's, it's different Why would opinion. you not? Because, then you just didn't... Be- because you're all automatically incentivizing everyone to go low... If you're having that withdrawal no, offer, no, you automatically and I, and, I, and I also wouldn't have. Ev- Why would it go low? Uh, sorry, sorry, you wouldn't. In the other scenario, you would automatically incentivize everyone to go low because you'd get lots of information. Why would it incentivize anyone to go low? Well, by, no, by not withdrawing, no, no, by being able to withdraw, yeah. that incentivizes everyone to go because you never want to overpay. No, no, of course you don't, and we don't want you to overpay. Yeah, do we? No, we don't want anyone to overpay. So, what's wrong with the, with withdrawal? Uh, I guess there, there, because the, what we're looking for is the fair price. Yeah, we want the the best price for everyone. Get, so, how would you get the best price if the first bid is overvalued? Within well, the other system, not being able to withdraw means no one overbids. That's correct. So you start off on a very low bid, so no, and then no. you work your way up. No, no, no. You you are able to withdraw. Yeah, yeah, but if you're so we're spending way too long on this point. But if you're not able to withdraw, you'd still end up at the same point. No, you wouldn't. You would. No, you wouldn't. You just start because no one because no one because no one starts up here. Because what you're thinking of, right, is if you're valuing each asset individually, in which case you are right. No, no, I'm not. I'm valuing everyone together. No, you're not, because the point would be if I've got multiple targets. A second row, a fly half, and something else. Yeah. And my bid was, say, 500000 Yeah. for a player. But it does not leave me enough salary cap room to get my two other targets. Yeah. It means that that player, for me, is not worth 500000 So I have to, so I have to drop, drop out. Because, actually, for me, the value is getting all three of them together. Yeah, so but, you but if it's, but but if still if get if it's a multi if it's a multi round auction, this is about I don't get. If it's a multi round auction, you'd put in an amount that you can cover all the bases, and you'd see oh someone's gone slightly above me. Or oh, actually, do you know what? I'll get I'll get a lesser second row. That's right. And I'll pay a little bit more to try and get George Ford. Yeah, yeah. And, and you'd creep up from uh, that's yeah. What Phil's saying. You'd, you'd, you'd creep work up. to the same point. No, you so, wouldn't. You we, but no because if you can't if there's down. No, yeah, if there's no withdrawing, you don't go from the down. Out, you just creep your first, way up. First round, no. you, first round, you might go 150k George Ford, <laughs> yeah, 150k what? George Ford, and if we're the only people bidding, amazing. <laughs> but someone else has gone 180, yeah. 180 so you we just might, work we might your have way to up slowly. Two hundred. No, the idea Wait, because okay. So the example that they use in um, in real life, the example used is telegraph poles, right? So is a telegraph pole worth a lot on its own, or is it worth a lot? combined with all the other telegraph poles. Yeah. Are you familiar with this? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the way you bid for telegraph poles is exactly like We like talk this. this like locks, yeah, telegraph poles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's exactly this, because you need to establish if that if people are bidding for that pole in order to sell it on the secondary market, or indeed they're bidding for it because they want it as a broader network, or indeed they're bidding for it as a, as a standalone thing. So that's why you're able to withdraw things. So with rugby clubs you're looking at squad composition and how they recruit an entire class. Yep. There might be a situation where one player is only worth X amount if another player is worth Y amounts. Yep. Right. So what you're saying is you build up, you build up, you build up, you build up. But if there is another race somewhere else, okay, 
you would be building up, building up, building up. And if you can't get that player, well, then the bids you've already made for your existing player... I see what you're saying. Yeah, are no longer relevant. So you might go, if, if we could get George Ford for 200k... Then we might then we might have three hundred k to bid for Maru Itoji. Yeah. If we need to go to three hundred for George Ford, actually we need to drop out of Maru Itoji and go for someone else. Correct. So, but the, but the upwards reach doesn't preclude that. Yes, it does. It doesn't. It does. It doesn't. Well, well, I don't know. It's, it's, take, take it up with the academics, Phil. <laughs> but look, what you're trying to do... If you're battling on multiple... I, I understand what JB's saying now. If, if you're battling doing... on multiple fronts, you would have to be certain of one thing before you crept up on another whereas you're bidding all at the same time exactly. for all the players but this the work upwards doesn't prevent that it does it doesn't it does because he, because if you've missed your target you might need to go for other targets right so um the way you're describing it phil i do follow what jb's saying you're no not, i, I kind of get the logic yeah, but if you're, you're not, working upwards you could do every player individually couldn't you well no because they're all bidding at the same time yeah, but you and, and so one of the one of the rules uh, in some of the auctions that have been run is you have to bid on players in the preceding rounds uh, to allow you to bid in future rounds, uh, which solves that problem. Okay, that does. Why would it? So- why would that solve that that problem? Because if you didn't bid, in, so you withdraw your offer for George Ford mm-hmm. to go for I don't know the matter Moster. Yeah, but if you didn't bid it for him in the last round. You can't bid for him in the next round, oh, so I like you that. need to like you work that. your way from the bottom up I like on that. all assets. So, in round three, I bid for George Ford. Yeah, but my bid won't count because it'll only count in the next round because I need to be bidding in a preceding round. Yeah, no, so no, you've got to build, bid in every round and, that you and want can to I just bid think about for George the, Ford. Oh, so and, and let me just start for George Ford. Yeah, yeah. 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 And let me just and that, ju- that gives perfect information across the board because everyone is bidding on everyone that they want and let at me, the, that point in time. And let me just jump at this from the television spectacle, which I think would be incredible, by the way, because uh, I sort of come at this thinking of that, that hat on. You would get the information on what the top bid was, say, George Ford, 200k, and you would get the number of clubs that have bid for him. Yes. That would be wicked. And that number yeah. would reduce... And the num and the amount of money would go up so the through way, the rounds. Okay, that so, that would be really cool yeah, to watch. I get so, it. So you can so take is, back all the times you said that wouldn't work, and you don't and I don't understand it. No, because I still <laughs> don't think you understand it. Okay, because uh, you're just talking about a different. Well, you're talking about a different thing to what I'm talking about. So the effect is still the same. And what you're so saying that is was you'd, correct. Is you'd have to, you would have to bid. From the start for every asset that you wanted, right? Yeah, which yeah. is how these so, auctions are run in a lot of instances. Okay, so the way I would do it is with a, a bid withdrawal system. Yeah, and if you imagine it, you'd have all the players ranked. Like Phil's is Protestant, JB's is Catholic. Yeah, <laughs> withdrawal. Yeah. This, this is what we call the not. This is what we call the narcissism of small differences here, right? So, if you imagine that you have all your players ranked. By, and this is another area where rugby could really cash in is having you know independent experts ranking their player order. Oh yeah, yeah. you well, definitely be able we'll, to. We'll that. take that gig. So if you're because you've got a salary cap too, it does add a little bit more complexity. If we start a auction where you only bid on the assets that you want, you might have to bid on basically well a, a, a lot more. Whereas if you had a withdrawal system, you'd probably see a system where maybe only the top 10% of players have a bid on them in the opening round. Yeah, and you'd have very limited. Yes. It's it's like a, almost like a, a combined English and Dutch auction at the same time. That's exactly what it is, yeah. 
because the the less interested players will have. Well, it, it depends who's going to do what strategy. And the way it ends is when there are two consecutive rounds with oh, no, no bids bid. drawn, yes, or no bids increased. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, that so, that makes perfect sense. That the conclusion. Yeah. So the conclusion is the conclusion the same with your version. Yes. Two consecutive rounds of no more bidding. Yes. Okay. So that's what I would. So you'd start with like the top ten percent with with bids on. Some might be ridiculously high. Some might be ridiculously low. As they realise that these players are out of their range, you'll see more and more players getting values down the line, and you might eventually end up with a guy who, for some reason, three teams have put a bid on, and people go, "Hang on a minute, why do we like him? We've never considered him." In Phil's version, they would never put a bid on him in the first place because you'd have to be in the preceding rounds, right? I hear what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So if you had, would you have to start for round one for every player? Yeah, well, you have to start for everyone you think you're going to bet on. Okay, so if there was a Cam Neal in the draft, um, who three teams liked, and we're in round four, and I think bloody hell, I've failed with all these. I could not go and bid for Cam Neal. That's a fair point. That. Yeah, that that is a fair point. But so th- that then that's one of the things why it's why it is totally different to telegraph polls. I don't think Cam Neal's that much different. Have you, have, have, have <laughs> you met the guy? He's a hooker. <laughs> slash back row. He's more, he's more like a, a beer barrel than a telegraph yeah, ball. Yeah, yeah, uh, So, I, you know, it's got to be an auction. I like the yeah. simultaneous multi-bid auction in terms of bids withdrawn and increased. You're not of that... No, but I, could, I can potentially see some merit in it. Yeah. Um, but either way, no, now what's important... Is not the complexity that JB and I have just gone into in those. Well, I, I enjoyed listening two, to that. Those and I, two and systems. I can, I can it, just to, you know, if it sets your mind at rest, both of you, I followed exactly why JB was saying what he was saying, and I was totally on board with why Phil was saying what he was saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the important thing is, in both those scenarios, you get far better information. The, the, the DORs, whoever's making these decisions, gets far better information on all of the players right across the board. They get better information, Tim. If we do a combine type thing from from your angle, oh yeah, the spin-offs but, of this combine. But the, my the, God, yeah, the value of the information that you get, and it would be information that you'd get throughout that individual auction. But then the whole league would get yes. better information for the following year. For example, if if a club ties up eighty percent of their players before the auction, and they tie up, I don't know, three uh, second row, three young English second rows for. 100 grand each, say. But in, in the auction, because second rows we know uh, in the Premiership are one of the highest paid players um, from the eSportive data, if they know that um, the average for the second rows was 200 plus K, then, well, I'm not going to sign a contract that you're offering me 100 K because I'll just go to the open market. Alternatively, <laughs> DOs can be held over a barrel for contracts that they redo. Yeah. So we say that actually this saves DOs from themselves. Well, if a DOR has done, say, I don't know, a five-year deal... Uh, for a really great young flanker just before he's called up for England, then he gets a massive tick in the box from his owner because he's effectively saved him 100 grand a year or whatever it is, right? Um, if, however, he's signed that same flanker for 300k because he thinks he's the future, but the next best flanker goes for one third of that, well, then he's cost his owner a lot of money, which he never, which he never need, needed needed to do. Yeah, and so, all of all that information is available to the fans. Yeah, and which which is how it is in uh, my understanding of the NFL. Everyone knows what every contract is worth. In rugby, we just have speculation. There's, there's rumors about what players are on. Sometimes accurate, sometimes not. It also massively screws over with um, 
people wanting to go to, say, Wales. Because <laughs> you might throw your hat in the draft. Look at all the offers and go, actually, Wales is the best option for me. Or well, I go, bloody hell, how much? Well, well, that, that is the other difference between telegraph poles and rugby players, um, is that rugby players have aren't obligated to go to the highest bidder. That's right. So it doesn't break any laws like a draft would, because nobody uh, nobody owns you like in a draft. Now, there is an extra element to that, because obviously telegraph poles are inert of objects uh, which don't negotiate back. Rugby players are objects uh, which do negotiate back. So rather than say to them, look, when the draft is over, when the auction is over, you only have one option. Maybe give them the top three options and let them talk to each one each one of these clubs. The only difference is that um, that whatever's offered in the auction is the final offer. There will there will be no there will be no movement on um, no no movement on that. Tie breaks could be things like length length of contact contract for to, for instance. So you might say first in the first case it is um, the amount of money you're offering, and then the tiebreaker could be could be the length. I don't see. I don't see necessarily given top three. I think they they should be able to accept all final bids yeah. because, like you say, they might have family settled yeah. in this area. Well, the, the cost of living might be so so wildly disparate that they actually yeah. they want to choose. And if that. you don't get drafted, you can sign for whoever you want. Sorry, or bought. You can sign for whoever you want afterwards. I, and I bet you one of the consequences would be a lot of clubs would actually swerve, like do Bill Belichick style, uh, swerve the draft, swerve the auction. And pick up high value players very cheap from the ones that no one else wanted. Do you know? Maybe. I mean, I don't know if that would work because you might want to put in rules around. So, the a rule I would look at is if you get released in a season or leave your club in the season, you can finish off the rest of the season with another club. No problems with that. Highest bidder, off you go. But then at the end of that season, you have to enter the auction. Every time your contract ends, you have to enter the auction. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, I have no problem with that interesting one on the free agents because there'll be a lot of them swimming around but then we've got so much better data on what people are worth that that would be worth it and it solves other problems like the squeezed middle in rugby which charlie morgan brought up so eloquently in his telegraph article which said the people in the middle are getting squeezed by the people at the top and the reason this is is because directors of rugby know about the people at the top but they don't know that much and the people at the bottom, but you pull all that information before you know it, we get very even squads. So, so my brother, my brother was a great example of, of one of these type of players, of which there are many who are good, solid squad players, paid probably less than they're actually worth. Yeah, mm. to accommodate the high-profile player, um, that's probably that's being overpaid. And I don't know how it pan out. I honestly do not know if Charles Pearsall would be worth a million quid. I don't know. I... It would be oh, really in the salary cap of six million without marquee players, no way. Oh, if he's if he's, if there's no marquee yeah. players, yeah. no chance because no one is worth that. No one is worth one sixth of your squad. What if it's 17 percent of your squad? How does marquee players fit into this? Well, I've thought of this, and ultimately, I think they should go. That that's my first thing. I would still have. I know the the. Um, Miners report was it the miners report or the Dyson report? Whichever one, one of them was. said reduce it to one, didn't they? It was ultimately get rid of them. Yeah, I think I, they should get rid of them. But I still quite like it as a way of attracting talent to the league. If you're going to have one, you may as well go the whole hog, might you, and say you can have one marquee player that you can negotiate with, or you can have a, of the auction. or you can have a marquee well, budget that is the marquee. A, a maximum amount of money that you can spend on players, which you could fit yeah. with one Charles Piertau, or you could fit with. 
Super League do it. Two players. Which is quite nice, which is they say only the first, I don't know, X amount of his salary counts towards the salary cap. So it's like having a normal player and then anything over that um, is counted as marquee. So marquee going in the auction would be really exciting. It would only happen very rarely. But if, say, Bowden Barrett just decides, or Cheson Colby... I quite fancy playing in England for a year or two. Yeah, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. Just watching that unfold would be I, I incredible, would say, yeah. dynamite. I mean, I would say ultimately you get what you just get rid of them. But yeah, it would be interesting to see two teams go hell for leather. But the thing is, right? So, a director of rugby with a little bit about him might want to inflate the price of uh, Bowden Barrett, knowing that the other guy is going to carry on matching him. With a big owner, with no, with no intention of buying him. Well, that's the problem with a withdrawal system. <laughs> yeah, that's like is. a clear problem with a withdrawal. But system. then I guess if you withdrew, the next guy would withdraw in this following round. But you you only withdraw, so you just you follow him until the end, so they're leading. Then you never withdraw. Think think of you. I understand with telegraph poles again. Uh, rugby players are human beings. You can imagine like George Ford going. Fuck, 700... Oh, sorry. Yeah. 700k. And then you can imagine he's going to be slightly... 400k. Grumpy, yeah. Quite, quite yeah. grumpy when he's going... 200k. 100k. 200k. Okay. He's not He's not going to shake hands and smile as he signs the bit of paper, is he? It's no, like, like when half I, a million quid I just lost. I think I'd recommend players not to watch this. <laughs> not with not with the withdrawal system. And I'll tell you where, where the other interesting thing is. What do agents do in all this? Well, this is... I was thinking about that. I, do you just get rid of agents? Which is something that's been muted by Saracens and, and probably other clubs. But mm. Well, two things they should do. Play, well, as you say, the fact that the, what Phil said earlier, I think, and what you both said, the amount of information that players, clubs, fans, broadcasters, everyone would have that informs all of these decisions would mean, actually, yeah. you, don't, you don't need an agent to, to bang the drum and convince a DOR that you're worth more because you can go... Look at all the yeah, second rows. Just, look at yeah. these. Players need they need legal representation and they probably need an IFA, someone they, to they tell them what to do with or, or their money, could, but they don't could, necessarily need an or agent. Or you could get an agent to just go in and negotiate, like you say, legal representation, to go, just, yeah. I'll pay you a fee, £1,000, go in and sign my deal. Not, yeah, it's, it's, not it's be on the phone side. all the time what? and PR me yeah. constantly all yeah. year yeah. round. The thing is, I actually think that they evolve into something very different. So I think what happens is, well, first of all, they would still be needed because if you don't go in the auction, you might go to France. So you need someone with his fingers in pies all over the globe, really. So Yeah, that's a fair point. Like mm. They don't become irrelevant. Second of all, you might know, but you also might not know exactly what to say in, say in an interview. And you might not know how to put a video together. You might not know how to, mar- to market yourself. You've got an, a whole, You've got a whole month of marketing yourself to various DORs. You better know what you're doing, and you better show up prepared. So there is some oh, kind. I could, I could do. A, I could do that for a job. There you go. So that may, maybe they don't go, but maybe they change. Uh, and the last thing is, an agent should be doing a lot more than just you know, redoing contracts with the players. And particularly if you're a big player like Maratoji, you need someone looking after your outside work. So it could actually work in the players' favour that if there's no money to be made in the Premiership from contracts, maybe. The uh, a- agents become experts at finding deals with supplement com- companies or trainer companies. Yeah, so there's a different role there. Yeah, you just and a different skill set. I, I th- so, uh, th- I mean, the thing you've explained really well, particularly between the two of you, is that 
this means that players' values get uh, assessed and you get um, less mistakes on overpaying. Or equally, you, don't, you well, get you, you get solid players not being underplayed as underpaid yeah. as much. Yeah, it would it would balance it out more more so. You can never be certain. All investments may go up as well as down, <laughs> etc. Um, and I think that's great. Also, it, it's not just the, the the at the time it helps. It helps in subsequent seasons because there's data there which will have a knock on effect for players knowing their value, knowing their opportunities and knowing their competition. And then also, the spin-off, and again, I come back to the broadcasting side of things because that's my background and, and my my angle. The opportunities for content here... Oh, it's huge. It's huge. Hours. Absolutely. Hours and hours put, and hours of programming. Would you put them all in the same room? Or would you have different cameras in different setups? <sighs> so, like, over to Carrington. So I, I would... I, I wouldn't even... Cause what, like Eurovision? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I I would have it all. It's like sealed bids. Yeah, as it, and then it, then it it basically comes up on a big board, like you said before, Tim. Here are the here's the the it's not a draft board, but here's the the auction board, the GB's multi round simultaneous auction board, um, and here is George Ford's on there, and eleven of the twelve club twelve of the thirteen clubs are in for George Ford in the first round, and here's where bidding starts. Yeah, well, the software for this is already out there. So you could easily install it on a, a phone or a laptop or whatever the hell it is, and then have the have the video coming out of Carrington or Sunbury or Farley House. It'd be, it'd be bloody cool that. It, it, and then some team employees in a hotel somewhere, or they're all in a hotel. Well, see, I, I would do it over quite a long period of time, at least two weeks. Yeah, so, so I would do it several, all in one go. several weekends or two weekends. Yeah, yeah. No, no, because no, because think because I'm thinking about the content opportunity. So one, there's in the build up to it between January the first and whenever this would happen. Let's say it happens like the NFL draft. It happens in April. You've got three months of pundits, analysts, podcasters, newspapers, websites, YouTube, all discussing who are the rankings, who's the who's the top, uh, yeah. who's the top in this position. Which, if you were this club, which ones would you pick? The score, who's resigned? As who's well? resigned? Who has it? What yeah. the squad's looking who, like? Who's available? Who needs who? Yeah, who needs who? who? What are the needs for Sale Sharks? What are, uh, Gloucester haven't signed a second row. Yeah. They're going to have to be in for four second rules. Exactly. They can't afford to replace Danny Cipriani yeah. if they're in for and, four second rules. And rows. every one of those column inches, every one of those YouTube hours, every one of those podcasts, every one of those TV hours on, on TV is sponsorable content which generates money, generates interest. The, the actual financial boon just having this event could have for rugby before, during and afterwards is absolutely massive and one of the limitations rugby has is there's not that many opportunities and not that many ways that it generates money outside of the 80 minutes mm, itself. Yeah. There's not, there's not I mean, like, you know, BT Sport have rugby tonight after a game on a Sunday. That's one way they have their build up. That's another way. Actually, there's hours of really relevant, great content. Yeah. And you would discover other interesting things about teams. Like, do teams that re sign their own? do better than teams that participate in the draft. And I suspect for the first few years, probably yes, but then longer term, maybe slightly no, because to re-sign your own, you might have to pay slightly over the odds to do that, or certainly you've not got perfect information. Well, my, yeah. So my indications are on this particular topic, something which I've done a lot of work on, is that 
players that resign tend to resign for less money. Because what you're able to do, I mentioned it in my last podcast with two uh, contracts, less money so. relative to what they could get, or less money full stop. Less money full stop. Oh wow, is that an age thing? Well, there's a couple of things, right? So, for instance, because if you're 33 and you resign, your previous deal was when you were 29 or 31, you're likely to resign for less than you previously did. Yeah. So there's a couple of things that you can do. Number one is. Uh, as I mentioned in my last pod, if you're on a longer-term deal, there is the ability for you to say... Say if you are playing first-team rugby on 80 grand a year, which is, you know, a lot of players do, do that. Yeah. And you're on a three-year deal. The likelihood is, first year, you're you're overpaid because we will never see you. You're not going to be breaking into the squad. You get a few games, and by second year, you're establishing yourself. And at that point, anyone on a two-year deal will now be worth a lot more money because you're a first-team player and you're worth a lot more than 80 grand. 80 grand is what you pay a backup tight head prop, say, or a third-string tight head prop. Now, if you're a backup tight head prop or a starting tight head prop, you're probably going to be worth something like 160 grand. So you've got to double double that guy's salary if you've done a two-year. If you've done a three-year, this guy's on 80 grand, you can say, bloody hell, you've done fantastically this year. How about we pay you 20 grand up front and you're now a 100K player and we'll add an extra year onto your contract to say thank you. Next year, you pay that same guy another 20 grand. You've done really well. You're starting for us now. Maybe even paying 40 grand up front. You know, you get a cheap prop. He he feels great. And he can't go anywhere for two years anyway. So if he, the worst you can say is no. And the best you can say is, yeah, let's sign that, let, let's sign that extension. So you're always in control of the conversation and you're always making sure that the, payer, the player is paid Paid into into the future because it's an unstable game. Yeah, and equally, uh, if you were that prop on eighty uh, k, and you'd seen oh props about my level are going for significantly more than that in the auction, yeah, I suppose the club's still in a position. If there's eighteen months left on a contract, you can say yeah, you can you can go try your luck in the auction. Of course, you get injured in the next year. Yeah, might get nothing. You might not even start. So, but there's, yeah. a, there's a contract there. You can sign it now if you want. And you're happy here. Yeah, you, and you're happy, yeah. yeah. Your kids are in school. Your wife's a lawyer in in the lo- in a local firm. You you're probably going to sign that contract. Yeah. So it'd be interesting. So the other thing you might want to do as well is you might want to know to really spice up the auction. What each team is bringing in terms of salary cap space. So Gloucester are coming to the table with one million quid. Saracen's coming with three million quid. What's overall spend going to be for this year? Well, it might be, I don't know. It's 20 million quid. That's quite exciting. 20 million quid will be leaving today because you need to know what the team's minimum spend will be. Yeah. So all sorts of really interesting side. Uh, yeah, and that avenues. would that would affect you whether you re-sign the contract. You might you might already know how much available cap spend how is. How much out available there. cap space is out there actually. Do you know what? I'm not going to take yeah. my chances this the year. NFL or is, I am going to take my chances this year. The NFL this year have got an interesting decision to make because their salary cap has been slashed because league revenues have been slashed. Players have made a deal with the NFL which is dependent on league revenue. Well, if revenue's not there because of COVID, yeah. So a lot of players are just signing deals because they know if they get released, there's gonna... not going to be any money out there. No, 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 no which, money. Which is a little bit like what we saw uh, pre um, the restart in the summer, where players were offered reduced deals, partly for that reason, partly because of the, the resetting of the salary cap. Um, reduced deals in order to re sign just to have a contract, because obviously we saw the Leicester Five who were offered the reduced contract and didn't re-sign it, some of whom have resurfaced somewhere in the world and some of whom have not and will probably never play the game again. Yeah, I wonder if we'll ever see Kyle Eastman again. 
I don't think so. No, I don't wow. think he'll ever play rugby again. He's maybe 31, 32. Wow. He had a few good years left in him. Just to, to wrap this up, I think it probably is worth going back to the original problem, the 1996 problem that was tried, trying to be solved. And there, there were two principles. That, what, what, what the, the, the two Stanford economists yes, were trying they, to solve? Okay. When they were brought in, yeah, and this, this was telecommunications in the USA. Um, the problems they were trying to solve, the government wanted it to be an efficient market. They didn't want it to be kind of cronyism or, or government-controlled market. So they wanted it to be a genuine market, and they wanted to maximise their own revenue, bringing as much cash as they possibly could. And that plays quite nicely into this system, and it pushes on what's already an open door. So the Premiership already says they want, and the reason for the salary cap is because they want the, the competition to be as competitive as possible. This makes the salary cap more competitive and the competition more competitive. And the other side, the more cash, well, it's something that's obviously for the for the benefit of the players. More exactly. Inf- more information means effectively more cash for most players. You're going to get fewer players underpaid. You'll have a few players, f- fewer players underpaid. You will have very few players overpaid. But being overpaid is not a good thing. It's a good thing in the short term. For that individual. For that individual. It's a good thing in the short term for that individual. It's a very bad thing in the long term for that individual. An example of this, which I don't know 100% this is the case, but um, Charlie Walker, for example, was spoken about getting a very good deal at, at Harlequins, and when that ended, he was not worth what he'd paid to Quinns or indeed any other premiership team, and that's why he went to well, was it Benetton and, or Zebra uh, and then Ealing. Zebra and then Ealing, yeah. Yeah. So it might be a small being overpaid might be a very small benefit in the short term. It's not a good thing for any individual in the long term. For the le- for the union itself, it's an important point because you need to understand what their motives are, and actually, it makes no difference to them because the total amount of money doesn't change. In fact, for the majority of their members, this makes more sense because more people get paid the correct amount, the correct amount, which is the most important what they thing. Want, actually, is the correct amount of payment. Yes. The the thing they have to argue about every year and that you should argue about is rising that salary cap, either the floor or or the ceiling. Which would be you'd which I I totally agree with. You'd have to book the trend of the last twelve months well, to do that well, because uh, they've baked in a four year salary yes, cap reduction they have, from where they were. Although again, for the reasons I've said, you suddenly create a hundred hours of potential T V that's a whole lot of advertising revenue. That's a big TV deal for a for a uh, and, for a broadcaster. They will pay for that. And this this would be this would be like groundbreaking in world sport if you could get that kind of auction going. It, it would be it would be unlike anything else. Like if you look at the IPL auction, it's it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a pantomime, really. Isn't it, it is. I've got to say, is. I did watch some of the clips of this because it's, I spoke to. It was on the other day. It's quite good fun. Yeah. But I it's someone involved with it, and I was like, "Okay, I'm in. I'll have a look." But it's not; it has nowhere near the strategy or complexity of this, and it doesn't. It, crucially, it doesn't solve one of the key problems, which is the the DOR's regret, because you're getting very little information. You you yeah. you just learn what the the uh, highest spending teams are willing to spend on the highest individuals. Yeah, it doesn't solve any any of the problems. That and then, and then anyone that's left after most of the money's been spent, they just get mopped up for peanuts. It's... Well, no, because what they have, I think, if I understand this right, is they commit to a minimum. A minimum, yeah, but the minimum's quite small. I've got no idea what that minimum is. Yeah. So. Mm. I watched it the other day. 
because yeah. I was because I was curious with this with this uh, in mind, in and it got me thinking. Yeah, and I read up I read up what I could on those two Stanford fellows, <laughs> bright bright guys. It's good, isn't yeah. it? It's cool. But it, no, I, I just I think it solves so many issues in one neat little nugget. The biggest yeah. the biggest one from my selfish perspective is I just think it creates storylines where, where, yeah. where, where you've lost the relegation storyline, if that's where we're going. The storylines, the content, the analysis, the punditry, the podcasts, the newspapers, the interest from fans, this, it just creates spectacles all over the shop. And I really, really hope that um, someone uh, in a position of influence is, is listening. And fine, nick it, claim it as your own, just make it happen because it would be awesome. <laughs> it would be amazing. It would be so good. Excellent. Let's leave it there then. So on on this one, right? This this isn't a normal podcast. This is quite a, a weird one. We get weirdly, we get quite quite a lot of people saying this sort of stuff they really quite like because it's stuff that you don't get anywhere else. So that being the case, uh, if if you can share it and tell someone about it, if you can n- knock up someone at your local club or <laughs> or barrage someone um, and say, "Here, listen to this. They, they they made some good points. You should listen up." And, and take it forward to a, a Premiership board meeting. Uh, that, that 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 would be amazing because I mean, all we want is exactly what you want, which is uh, the most number of people to watch so, and sign up to Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> the most number of people to watch the game, enjoy the game, um, and I don't think I, th- I think hopefully what we've shown is that just just stopping relegation is not a solution. Yeah, it on its own. To, on its own, and and this can be done even within the context of relegation and promotion. It could be, but yeah. But the crucial thing is, if if we're taking a a unique opportunity to hit pause and start again on on a sport, let's uh, let's have a bit of creative thinking. Indeed. What what made you think about it, JB? The auction thing was it Phil first? No, it wasn't. No. It was. One of our can I I'll mention a listener. One of our listeners and patrons is a PhD in game theory, and we exchanged a few a few emails, and he said, "You boys do sort of game theory in a way anyway, uh, but without the numbers. You might be interested in auction theory." It's like, okay, I'll look at that. So I pulled up a video which is about twenty minutes long on auction theory, the most simple, the most simple video that you could possibly get. And then from that, I thought, ah, that does make sense. So I then reached out and spoke to a bunch of people who have run auctions in sports and have got experience in other sports, whether it be NRL or IPL or NFL. So I've a load of conversations and just seen what I could find out, really. And I feel that the simultaneous, sorry, the multi-round simultaneous auction is the best way forward. And as it happens, because Phil is an absolute nerd, when I said to him, hey, have you ever heard of a simultaneous multi-round auction? He goes, yeah, I, the academics are such and such and such and such, and they, and they won a Nobel Prize last year. I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, you have them. So, yeah, so, so yeah just... Wind out my sail there a little bit. Co- coincidentally, um, I'd been reading about it as well. I, I stumbled across it last year when they won the Nobel Prize, and I was trying to think... So I, professionally, my work... Um, procure, buy and sell effectively um, uh, millions of pounds worth of packages um, per year um, in the domain. I'm currently working on, on a couple of large projects and I was thinking, I was racking my brain trying to understand it to see if there was any way that I could kind of get extract some of the benefits from the principles 
into my work and I think it's it'd be a little bit difficult to do but I'd I'd already built up a reasonable understanding of the um, Protestant version of the, the system mm-hmm. not JB's um, withdrawal method yeah yes. JB's withdrawal <laughs> method um, in doing so so when JB started talking about it incredibly excitedly I was also incredibly excited about it because it, and I, I think this is um, I think this is a really really interesting and uh, relevant application for it yeah, I, I think this would be as good as anything I've I've read because it was it was initially selling radio rather than I think specifically telegraph poles, it was selling um, radio waves effectively. So like if for example, language that you'll clearly understand, Tim, if you own uh, whatever it is ninety eight point five FM in Manchester, it is more valuable to, for you to own ninety eight point five FM in. Wolverhampton, Birmingham, Newcastle, Leeds, etc., etc., rather than owning different uh, wave bands all across the country, and you expand that, expand that right across the uh, wave spectrum to start throwing in things like three G, four G, radio, television, etc., etc. That was the problem that they initially came up with to solve. Yep. There you go. Fascinating. So there you go. If Just share the podcast, tell people about it, and, and you'd be doing us a great service. Uh, if you enjoy what we do and you want to support us and get access to potential shirt giveaways from the dungeon and access to um, uh, priority live tickets when we can do live shows again, then we are patreon.com slash eggchasers. Right. Good work, lads. Well done. 